Eric Lee Franks was a 38-year-old from Saginaw, Michigan. He loved children and communicating with his friends on social media. On March 21, 2011, according to the mother of Eric's biological daughter, she saw him drive away from her home and he never returned. Yet no one noticed Eric was missing for six months. He was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Have you ever heard the saying, youth is wasted on the young? It's a simplified version of a statement George Bernard Shaw made back in the early 1930s. You can look that up. What essentially it means is it takes us getting old to finally realize how good we had it when we were young. Now, I'm not sure when this starts to occur to older people. probably goes on a person-by-person basis. In fact, I'm sure there are some 30-year-olds who feel old out there. But we know what the effects are. Guys going out and buying Corvettes, getting toupees if they're losing their hair, people losing weight, going to the gym, and for both genders, maybe getting a bit of plastic surgery. In fact, there's a realm of thinking out there that says that people have children as a way to feel young again, as a way to relive their own childhood. Now, I'm not sure if this is good or bad, but it does seem to me that the happiest people in life are the ones who are happy with their age and their situation. They're comfortable in their own skin. Although I do admit, it seems to me that it's a very small percentage of the population. This longing for youth can also be expressed in another way. I'm guessing this most commonly occurs amongst people who have had relationship problems as adults. They think back to that first crush, that first kiss, that boy or girl they dated in high school or college, and they wonder what might have been. In fact, with social media these days, it's easier than ever to track down those people. In fact, we have a word for it now, cyber-stalking. But people, as adults, they wonder, what could have been? I could have been so happy. Well, in this episode, you're going to hear about a good young guy, Eric Franks, who fell upon some tough times in his life. And in a moment of what he might have called luck at the time, he managed to find online a girl he called the one who got away. But it may have just been this desire to relive the good old days with this woman that caused him to disappear. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Good's website, charlieproject.org. Eric Franks checked into the Miller Motel in Saginaw, Michigan in October 2010. He was there to reconnect with an ex-girlfriend, Kendra Firmingham, after finding out that she had Eric's daughter after they broke up in 1994. Between October 2010 and March 2011, Eric got together with Kendra and their daughter, Emily, several times, despite Kendra now being married to another man, John Carnes. Over that time, Eric picked up work at different jobs, from helping out the owner of the motel to being a day laborer. He kept in contact with friends and family through social media and his cell phone. On March 10th, 2011, Eric had what would be his last conversation with his mother. He told her he was in the process of moving out into the country where cell phone service wasn't very good. 
The belief is that Eric was moving in with Kendra, who was allegedly having marriage problems. However, days later, after that conversation with his mother, on March 14th, the motel owner claims he saw Eric for the last time when Eric stopped in to make an advance payment on his weekly rent, seemingly contradicting what Eric told his mother. The owner also noted that Eric's car was parked at the motel for the next two days after March 14th. Yet by March 21st, Eric's car was gone and Kendra showed up alone at the motel to clean out his room. She claimed Eric had left town. Because of the confusion regarding Eric's living and cell phone situation, no one reported him missing until six months later in November of 2011. However, during that time, Eric seemed to be responding to friends and family through social media, although no one ever saw him in public after March 14th. Eric's car also disappeared. It's a tan 2001 Chevy Malibu with the Ohio license plate number EMH4902. The interview for this episode is with his mother, Joanne Franks. And now the unfound housekeeping items. You can find the program on Twitter at Unfound Podcast. You can also find the program on Facebook, the Unfound Podcast Discussion Group. It's a private group. Love for you to be a member there. You can talk to other listeners of the program. You can also find me there. Talk to me. Send me an email. I'd, I'd like that. You can also find the program on Instagram at Unfound Podcast, just like the Twitter account. The podcast itself can be located on Podomatic and iTunes, and I deeply appreciate those of you who have gone to iTunes and given the podcast some very nice reviews. It really means a lot. Thank you. You can email the program, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, if you could, please mention the show. If you visit sites like WebSleuths, Reddit, and any other true crime websites and forums. And now, unfound news. I need to give a huge shout out to the podcast Up and Vanished. If you don't know, the disappearance of Tara Grinstead was solved recently. And Up and Vanished has been covering that disappearance for the last six months. I realize that the host of that show has come out and said he's not sure whether his show actually influenced the case being solved or not, but here's what I know. Him covering that case surely didn't hurt. And maybe all of the coverage that he gave it within the last six months, like I like to say on this program, maybe somebody finally grew a conscience and came forward. Uh, great work by Up and Vanished, and that's something that all of us all of the hosts in all these programs want to see happen in all of the cases that we cover. Now, on the home front, for Unfound, there's been a little bit of movement on a couple cases we've covered. If you don't know, in the Robin Abrams case, I had her sister Jody Walsh on the end of last year. There's currently digging going on in a cellar in a house in Joliet, Illinois, with the expressed belief that Robin Abrams' remains might be in the floor of that cellar. I'd like to say that Unfound covering Robin Abrams' disappearance has something to do with this renewed interest in the case, but I cannot say that at this time. I am in contact with Jody Walsh, and I plan on having a discussion with her about what's going on there very shortly. But right at this time, I can't say one way or the other. I don't know what is instigated uh, this digging. If I find out, 
I will let you know. In another case that we've covered much more recently, the disappearance of Teresa Butler. Now, this is something that I think is more than a coincidence. For the first time since Teresa disappeared, her husband is being interviewed by a local TV station in Missouri. Once again, the first interview he has done for the media in 11 years. Being that we just covered that case on Unfound, I do not think that is a coincidence. However, I will state for the record, I don't believe he had anything to do with her disappearance. And in that case, I'll also keep you informed as to what he said in that interview when I get to watch it. And one final note before I present to you my interview with Joanne Frank's mother of Eric Frank's. This is a long interview, the longest interview I believe that I have ever done for Unfound. That is not an accident. There is a lot of information, a lot of ins and outs about this case. And frankly, before the end of it, you're going to find out that this may be more about the disappearances of two people, not just one. I now present to you my interview with Joanne Franks, mother of Eric Franks. I'm so fortunate to have on this episode of Unfound, Eric Franks's. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother, Joanne Franks. Joanne, welcome to this episode of Unfound. Thank you, Ed. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. Please tell the listeners a little bit about your son. If they were to have met Eric at some point, what would they have known about him? What would they have liked about him? What strikes you as him being your son? Well, Eric had a very good-looking young man, for one thing, and um, he um, had a very good sense of humor. Uh, he liked to read a lot and watch movies, so he would be right in there to discuss those things with you. And he was a really good friend to people. If he really liked you, uh, he'd give you the shirt off his back. He'd give you the last dollar you had if he really liked you. You know, he was a dedicated friend. He was a he, he was a, a nice guy. You know, I mean, we all have our faults, but he was a nice guy. And what's what's a memory maybe from a maybe a, a family vacation that? You, you, your family might have gone on one time. What do you think of first when you think of Erica, an image that comes to your mind? As far as vacation, we, we took the children on vacations every year. We went to Gatlinburg a lot, and uh, we took them to places like um, oh, Silver Dollar City and um, old places just where they could have fun. We took them to Disney World, and um, we usually did not live right by their grandparents. One grandparent, set of grandparents lived in North Carolina and one in Mississippi. So we would make sure they got to visit their grandparents um, at least once or twice a year. And we always made sure they went on vacation just for fun every summer. So, mm -hmm. um, 
Eric, we we tried we tried out for King Kong movie one time and and as a family and some parts of our family was on Family Feud one time. We just we we were enjoyed things like that. Yeah. Now Eric was adopted. Uh, Tell the listeners a little bit about that. I'm uh, listeners should know this topic has come up before in an episode. I'm adopted as well. So anytime I hear about somebody who's been adopted, I take a personal interest in it. What can you tell the listeners about Eric's adoption? Well, my husband and I have been married about six years when we adopted Eric, and um, we it was a private adoption, um, and, um, well, he was just an answer to prayers, as, as was our daughter that was born about four and a half years um, later. Um, he was just a precious little boy, you know, kind of bald-headed with a little bit of black hair right in the back of his head, and I remember um, the first time we, my husband and I saw him, um, my husband said, is there any doubt? He meant, we want that baby. And um, my, my, we found out about him actually through my parents because some friends of friends, it was like I said, it was a private adoption. And uh, my dad had even said, if y'all not taking this baby, I am. Because <laughs> he was, he was just adorable and. We couldn't loved him any more than if I'd have given birth to him. How old was he when you adopted him? Five weeks old. Five yeah, and weeks. he was he was tiny. He hadn't been out of the hospital all that long. He weighed um, eight three when we adopted him, and our daughter weighed eight fourteen when she was born. So he was he oh was kind of small, but but he ended up being six foot one as a man. So yeah, he he, he definitely grew up. <laughs> what were some of his hobbies and, and interests? What do you like to do in his spare time? Um, well, when he was a, a young boy, he loved Star Wars. He loved to write, and um, he always enjoyed writing um, through his life and reading a lot and drawing. When he was little, he liked to draw. He didn't do so much of that when he got older. Um, when he was young, he liked skateboarding and uh, he liked those throwing stars, people, you know, back when he was young. And um, just an average kid, but um, he kind of liked staying in his room sometimes when he was younger. If we went on trips, when we got back home, he usually wanted to go to his room and see his things, you know. And um, he was just um, just sort of average kid, I guess. Mm-hmm. And did he did he go to college? Did he work after uh, getting out of high school, or what did he do do with that with his life? No, he didn't go to college. He um, mm-hmm. talked about going to um, get his uh, license, you know, to drive a truck. Matter of fact, when he went up to um, Michigan, he uh, where he disappeared from, he was at that time talking about enrolling in a school to you know, to learn to be a truck driver, which would have been ideal for him because he liked to travel. And um, I think that would have been a perfect job for him. Now, he did want to be a movie director. And when he was growing up, he, um, he's he been to California a few times and couldn't afford to live there, but he loved it there. And um, when he was young, we bought him a director's chair and had his name put on the back. Well, we put Elf Studios, his initials are ELF, and he started that. He wrote, would write things and say Elf Studios, you know. And uh, we had a plaque put on his bedroom door that said Elf Studios. And um, But that's what he 
his dream was to be. And he actually did work backstage on a movie one time when he was in California. Neat. But Neat. he couldn't. I think it was clear and present danger. But he, he just couldn't um, couldn't afford to live there. It's expensive. Yeah, yeah that's what expensive. he said. Yeah. But he told me one time, he said, you'd love it out there, Mom. And I, he, I said, well, if you live there, I'll come visit you. But I don't want to live there. He said, but it's ideal weather all the time. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, he at some point, he went in search of his adoptive family, didn't he? Yeah, when he was about 19, he... Um, he told me, he said, he didn't want to hurt us. And so we told him, no, I mean, we knew where his biological family, where they were. His biological mother had been killed in a car wreck when Eric was about a year old. And um, so so he did go meet them, um, met his, his biological grandmother and an aunt and a cousin, I think. And... Um, he brought back a picture of his aunt for me to see, and Eric looked like her, so he probably looked like his biological mother. So that happened when he was 19, and how, how did it go for those those next almost 20 years? Did he keep in contact with them, or what kind of relationship did they have? No, he, he, um, he got a copy of his birth certificate. He um, had his mom's thumbprint and his baby footprint on it. He brought it and showed it to me. And um, he, he said, his words were, they're smothering me. And I don't know how, whether they were, you know, kept trying to get in touch with him. He just said he, he broke it off. He didn't really want, he was just curious. Uh, he wanted to meet some of them, but he didn't want to have a relationship with them. Um, now, he did talk to his biological father um, by phone. Um, he did not live there in, in the same place where the rest of his biological family lived because they were not married, um, his biological mom and dad. And he, um, his biological father, he said, told him if he called him anymore, he'd kill him. So he, um, that was disappointing. Wow. You know, and he just, he just never tried to contact him again. Um, I think he had married and had a child that, they didn't know about Eric, so he didn't want them to know. So, hmm. you know, just sad that, that those things happen, but they do. Right. Now, if we could get more, maybe a little bit closer to the time uh, that Eric disappeared, what was going on in his life maybe about six months before he ended up moving to Michigan? And we'll get into moving to Michigan and the reasons behind that. But was he, he was in a relationship, and he was living in, what was it, Mississippi, or? Well, he he was married and living in Mississippi. Oh, okay. Um, before he moved to Ohio, uh, mm. he moved here in 2008, and um, they both, he and his wife both had pretty good jobs, um, but they still weren't making, you know, they needed to make a little more money, so at that time he thought maybe, uh, he asked me, Reckon he could do better with jobs here, and at the time I said yes, but that's when you remember the stock market fell and and um, yeah. things got kind of bad about two weeks after they moved here. But um, so they they moved here in 2008, but he had been living in Mississippi where his dad was from for oh I don't know 
probably close to 15 years. Mm -hmm. And what happened with his marriage? Well, they were, I think, very much in love, and they moved here, and they had um, dreams of, you know, things being better financially for them and everything. And then, like I said, the the economy just kind of collapsed, and um, so it wasn't easy to find jobs and everything. But they um, they were here for about two years, and um, then he during that time is when he learned about the daughter he had in Michigan. So mm -hmm. um, his wife and myself, we both told him he ought to get a DNA test done, and he did He did not want to do that, and I, that's not what broke up his marriage, but that contributed. I think that was the final straw um, is what went on that caused him to go to Michigan, that his wife left him. What uh, what work was he doing at the time that he was married? What was he and his wife, what work were they involved in? Well, at the time he went to Michigan, she was working, and he was keeping her little boy. Um, he She found a job here in town and uh, at a, like a convenience store service station place. This is a really little place, but there's a big manufacturing business here, too. The Souter Woodworking is here and employs lots of people from even out you know out of town but and he did um apply there and got a call back but at the time uh he had accepted another job which did not pan out and then he couldn't i guess could get that job then but um so he worked at a frozen pizza place here uh, where they manufacture frozen pizzas and freeze them and, and um he had an, I can't remember, oh, he worked at a chemical place, and um, for a while, neither one of them could find jobs, and then, like I said, they did off and on find some. Okay. And they were only here about two years before um, he contacted, uh, actually, his old girlfriend got in touch with him. Right. Let's, let's, why don't we talk about her, since she's going to be a, a major person in, in the rest of this interview. What can you tell, what you know, we don't want to get into too much down the road, but what you knew about Kendra Firmingham. Tell the listeners about her. Well, she she actually lived in Saginaw, Michigan, but when, when my family and I lived in Nashville, Tennessee, she and her mom and her siblings um, lived and came to Nashville. And that's how Eric met her. Actually, I worked with her just a short time at a place in the mall where I was working for a friend at her business in the mall. And um, I don't honestly remember much about the girl except it seemed like she had long curly hair, dark curly hair. And uh, the first time I guess I met her, she was only 15. And I, re I just remember asking my friend, how was she able to work there when she was that young? And she just explained that her mom agreed it was an after-school um, thing, you know, where she could work part-time. And um, honestly, I didn't even know she... Eric said I introduced them. and um, but You, you I don't know, remember that? I didn't, I didn't... Well, not really, but I don't doubt that at all, that I did. I mean, she was cute, he was cute, and... <laughs> you know, right. both of them single or whatever, I probably did. If he kept dropped by where I work, I probably did. But I didn't know that she actually, 
she and her mom went back home to Michigan and then apparently came back again. I don't know that her mom came back with her. I think maybe she just came back. Um, but she was about 17, I think, when when she and Eric were dating. And I didn't even know that they, you know. And it could have been that I introduced them closer, you know, whether it wasn't when she was 15. It could have been a little bit older because I think they dated when she was about 17. And uh, How old would have Eric been at this time then? Was he? Probably, um, well, I want to say he was about 19, but he must have been a little bit older than that because I think there's about four years difference in their ages. Okay. But she, she's a little bit, um, um, I think that I think that's right. I think there's oh. about four years. Okay, and, so uh, this is well before he ever met his future wife. I mean, several, several years before, before that. That wife. He had been married before. At the time that he dated Kendra, he had never been married. Okay. Um, no, that, but he was, um, I know Kendra told me that she thought she met Eric's first wife because they got married in Nashville. And um, so it was all about the same time when he was, when he knew the girl that he married the first, the first mm -hmm. wife. So Eric and Kendra were, had a relationship and how long did they date? Uh, how long were they going together and what eventually, you know, caused them to break up to your knowledge? I can't really answer that because I didn't even know they, until, until he went to Michigan and told me he was going and talked about, you know, Kendra and everything. I didn't know, um, they had had that kind of relationship. Now huh. he had, he had expressed, um, later to me before he ever went to Michigan that like he never got over her, but it wasn't like he talked about her a lot he, to me anyway. Now, I know one of his friends told me that he said she was the one that got away, so um, he may not have ever gotten over her, but it wasn't like he talked to me about her. So you never knew yeah. that he was dating her or anything? He, they may have gone out for a year, and you have no idea of that they were well, ever together. He didn't, he didn't live at home then. He lived mm -hmm. in the same town, but he had his own apartment, and you know he probably dated girls I didn't know anything about, and... Um, I don't, really don't know how long they were dating. Okay. Now, all these years later, uh, 2010, he gets back in touch with her, or she gets back in touch with him. After I, We're going to guess several years of them not communicating with each other at all. How did that happen? Yeah, I don't think they'd seen each other in close to 17 years, almost about that. Um, well, he... When he came to Ohio, he started a Facebook page. Now, I was not on Facebook at the time and didn't, you know. I actually got on Facebook after he disappeared to help try to find him. and uh, But he created a, a Facebook page. He, I think he had more than one, but he created one where he had, there were, I think, eight people on the page. Um, and he just was trying to find her because he knew you know, that she lived in Michigan, and he was pretty close now, living in Ohio, and he just wanted to friend her, but he couldn't find her on Facebook because, um, turns out, she went by fake names. She had a couple of fake names and didn't use her own name, so he couldn't find her, but he remembered um, the man that came to Nashville and picked her up 
and brought her back to Saginaw when Eric and she and Eric broke up. And he didn't know she was apparently two months expecting a baby. She was two months pregnant when they broke up. And um, he didn't know all this at the time, but he got in touch with the man that came and got her. And he goes by his actual name on Facebook. And, and that's John Carnes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And he um, he got in touch with him and told him that he was trying to find Kendra. And I don't think he knew at the time that the Kendra and John had gotten married uh, when she was about eight months pregnant and um, with Eric's baby. <laughs> But Eric didn't know that at the time. This was totally unbeknownst to Eric, but he was getting in touch with a woman who all these years later had actually had his child, and he never knew about this daughter that he had at the whole time. Right. Okay. Right. And he he, uh, communicated with um, Kendra's husband, not knowing that was – I don't know at what Mm -hmm. point he realized or was told they were married, but he didn't know that when he got in touch with him. And – it was my understanding from what Eric told me and also what Kendra told me later and what John told one of my sisters later, this is after Eric disappeared and we were looking for him, uh, that John um, told Eric, I will give Kendra your information and leave it up to her if she wants to get in touch with you or something like that. And um, she did. She got in touch with him. Do you think that John at that time knew that the daughter was Eric's? Oh, yes. He admitted he did later. Okay. At the time, I don't know what he told Eric at the time. Well, of course, they didn't discuss a child. That wasn't even brought up. Mm -hmm. Um, Eric found that out later through Kendra. But but John knew, yes. Yes, he knew. He he told the police later, uh, told our family that, he always knew that was Eric's baby. And matter of fact, um, in recent weeks, I have talked to Kendra's mother and sister who told me they always knew. Um, his sister told me we always knew that was Eric's baby. We were just told not to talk about it. So this all happened in 2010 at some point, that Eric tries to get back in this with this girl Kendra that he remembered from years and years and years ago. He remembers this John Carnes guy. He gets in. He finds John online, and this, and then he says, "Yes, I'll set you up if she wants to contact you. She can." And then, sometime in 2010, Eric and Kendra start talking to each other again after a long time that they hadn't. Um, did she? How did she intimate to him that she had his daughter? Did she come out right and tell him, or did she give him hints? How did she go about that? From what you remember. Well, I know what Eric told me and what she told me, and they were pretty much the same story. Okay. Um, she um, posted on, after they became Facebook friends, she posted on there about when, um, that she had two daughters, and she gave their birth dates, and, and um, she, her words to me when I called her looking for Eric or find out what happened to him, her words to me were, I told John, Eric is smart. He's figured out that one of the daughters is his. And um, Eric told the same story that she posted their birth dates, and he knew, according to when the oldest oldest one 
when her birth date was that it had to be his child. So he asked her, and she said, yes, it was. Hmm. She was and- just... She wanted him to know that it was. I mean, why would you why would you get in touch with an old boyfriend who she said they had a um, rocky relationships while they broke up? Um, why would you get in touch with somebody like that that you say, um, well, Eric did have a temper sometimes, and she said, um, you know, that that was part of why they broke up. He was jealous of her and things like that. That why would you do that after almost seventeen years? Want him to come meet the daughter that he never knew existed? That didn't make a bit of sense unless you had a motive. Okay, so he goes to he just up and decides I have this daughter. I'm going to Michigan to see her, and this happened roughly of October of 2010. Um, what do you remember about that? Yeah, he had decided a little bit before October that he was, by the time, mm. when he knew that he had a daughter, he was going, he was going to go meet her. And that's what he should have done. And I told him, I mean, yeah, you, you should go meet your daughter. But I reminded him, you know, you're still married, Kendra's still married, because he was, ha- he talked about how, you know, he, his wife had left him and, and Kendra said her husband and she were separated, that they were estranged. And, um. So he had to kind of hope things would work out between them. But he told me, if it doesn't work out between Kendra and I, I'm not going to leave up there, um, and you know, as long as my daughter's there. And he was determined to go see her. He actually, now his wife left him, so he stayed in his their apartment for a while, and then he came over and stayed with me. So when he actually um, left for Michigan, he left from my house, and it was on October the 25th. 2010. So you're do you did you know that he was going to stay there? Did you anticipate that he was going to be there for a long time? I mean, did you anticipate that he'd be there the whole way till March until the time that he disappeared? Or did you think this was just going to be a couple weeks? What what, what did you think before he left? Uh, well, he didn't have a time limit, but he didn't take a lot with him. But he didn't know how long he'd be gone. But he left uh, like his bed, his TV, his microwave. Uh, some clothes. He left things here with me, and he said that's you know in case he needed to come back and get an apartment again, he'd have things already. You know, he'd have his things that were necessities. Mm-hmm. Um, he he only he took some books and probably some movies. I don't know. He had a few things and some clothes. He just in his car. I mean, he didn't put things in his trunk and things in his back seat when he left and. He didn't take a lot with him, and um, no, he hates cold weather, and um, so it's even colder in Michigan than it is here, and he didn't like the cold weather here. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, when it was cold in Tennessee, he didn't like it. He He's one of those people that wore long sleeves even when it was warm, and he um, usually wore a hoodie. He just, he could kind of shiver when it, when, you know, to me it wasn't that cold, but that's just was his metabolism, so... Okay. Um. I don't think he intended, and I know when he was there, he he had posted, I knew this later, that he he said something like, I vow to get my girls out of here once he and Kendra and the, the daughters were, you know, I guess, staying in this, um, well, he did, I think at some point, 
he was living on the property, not in the house with them, but on the property from everything I've known since. Okay. We're going to get to that. Um, would you, so he, you would say that he, is, he was excited. I mean, he was, of course, surprised that he had a daughter. He was excited, though, to meet her. I think he was the happiest he'd ever been in his life to okay. know that he had a child because being adopted to him, well, he said to me once he got up there to Michigan, he said, um, I told him he still he ought to get a paternity test done. And he said, and his wife wanted him to. And um, he said, Mom, she's a female me. And um, he just, he had no doubt, and he was so excited. Um, it was like he was in, just infatuated and in love with this this idea of having a daughter. He never had any biological children. He had had two stepsons. And one of those little stepsons, the one that his current wife, uh, um, he knew him, helped raise him since he was about two. I think he loved that child like he was his own. What went on eventually when he, once he got to Michigan? What, what happened when he got there in October? Well, I know that, and some, some I found out since, some mm -hmm. I knew then. Um, he talked to me on the phone about some of it. Yeah, what was he telling you while he was up there that was going on? Well, Kendra was just kind of playing him. Um, she would say, I don't know, you know, once, I mean, there he is. He went up there, and um, and she might, she's saying, I may not even let you meet your daughter. I may not even tell her that you're her dad. And he, I know he told me one time, he said, well, do they not know that I know where she goes to school, and I could just go tell her? But he, he didn't. He waited till they, till they, her parents told her, and um, so I mean he was only there five months, but they didn't tell her. Well, I think they told her in November, maybe the end of November, about Eric, and um, but he and Kendra apparently had rekindled during that five months he was up there, rekindled their relationship, and um, where did what did he do for work, and where did he stay while he was there? Well, I think the first couple of nights he stayed in a kind of a nice motel, and then that's too expensive if you're just going to stay in a motel all the time. So he, um, I, it was my understanding, Kendra found um, this little motel called Miller's Motel in the Bridgeport Township, and that's where he stayed. Mm -hmm. It's just a little, little place, not a, you know, it's okay, but it's not, wasn't a real nice um, chain, you know. And eventually, though, Kendra did allow him to see her. And how did, uh, I'm not sure we really want to use the, the, the daughter's name, but how did she and Eric get along? I've used her name on Facebook because... Okay. Well, I mean, okay. her, first name, her first name's Emily, which right. I thought. Okay. To me, I figured she was sort of named after Eric because of, Eric called himself the E... <laughs> And her being named Emily, it just made me think that. I don't know if that was, you know. But um, he met her, yeah. He he said, I think the first time he met her was in the mall, uh, Fashion Square's mall in Saginaw. And um, the, I think the way he told it and, the, well, the way I think Kendra may have told me, too, was that um, 
but Eric had posted stuff about it. I read that later that she um, leaned over to him, Kendra did, and said she knows. And that was the first time they were actually together when they both knew, that's my daughter, that's my father. And they took pictures. I don't. I never saw any pictures of them together that day, but there were pictures. Eric told me that she um, dared him to wear this wig that was dreadlocks and a patch, like a pirate patch, and he posted a picture of him with that on, and then there's a picture of her in the mall with um, oh, a similar kind of, you know, kind of a puppy dog hat with pigtails on it or something. And um, matter of fact, my sisters and I went to that mall more than once, but we went there and found the place where they sold those things. And when Eric was talking to you about being up there, uh, did, at any time did you ever feel that he was in danger or any threats against him, anything that went on? Of course, there's still John is in the picture. Kendra is married to John. Did his name come up in those months that, that you were talking to Eric while he was up there? Yeah, he. Uh, as far as him me, feeling me being afraid for him, the only thing was that he told me one time he wasn't comfortable at that motel because it was not as nice a place, so there were guests living there that, uh, you know, were not the kind of people that you would want to be in a room next to or, or anywhere near you. And so sometimes, you know, he said that, he wasn't comfortable there, but he couldn't afford to go to a nicer place to stay on and on and on like that. Mm. Um, the only time I remember him really mentioning John to me was about a car that um, that Kendra and John had bought for uh, Emily uh, for her 16th birthday because she ju- just turned, um, actually just turned 16 not long after Eric went up there. Okay. And he just, but he, he talked a little bit about him, like he told me that John had moved out. Um, was trying to that Kendra had got Kendra got a place, and John was now you know, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm telling you that Eric probably did not get the truth. From the people he was I understand. with, yeah. but this is you know. So I don't know. Right. I, all we're working on right now is what he was telling you what was going on up there. Right. Yeah. So that um, John tried to rent a house next to where Kendra had gotten a place. She and her girls. And I've been there, and from what the neighbors told me, that house was empty um, along about that time, and that they actually purchased it. So what he told me and what he, you know, that, that kind of was backed up by what the neighbors said without them actually telling it, you know, that John tried to get it. I don't know. I was told, Eric told me that um, that Kendra told, said that John tried to, um, couldn't get that place, so he moved in to one of his, he has four kids, two by previous marriage, and uh, he tried to move in or did move in with his daughter from a previous marriage. Like I said, I can't verify these stories. Okay. That's just what, what he was told and told me. Okay. So we get close or very close to the time that he disappeared. And this is for the listeners should know something. You're going to see a lot of 
different dates out there regarding the time that Eric disappears. But what you're going to hear now is that those dates are a little bit in dispute. Uh, I can look at the charlieproject.org site and see that it says he's been missing since March 21st, 2011. But what you're going to hear now talking to Joanne is that date is not set in stone. It's, it's questionable. I just want to keep that in mind as we go forward. Joan, what do you remember about those, what days when you, some of the last times you had contact with Eric, whether it was through on the phone or, you know, of course we haven't even talked about another, fr this friend that he has, Leah, who I've talked to, who had, was having contact with him. What can you tell me about those days, those like end of February, beginning of March? What do you remember? Um, well... Now later, later times I know that he probably he posted mm -hmm. about fixing up a house and they mm -hmm. had water issues. Um, he just told me, well, last time I talked to him was March tenth by phone, and he told me don't mail me anything else to the motel. I had mailed him Christmas gifts, and he said don't mail anything else here. I'm going to be leaving, and I'm going to um, get a place. Um, that doesn't have good reception. He said, I'm going to get a job. I'm getting a post office box. So he said, uh, just don't mail anything else here. And we had a discussion about, um, because the car that he had, it was his car, but I had bought it for him because he had a car that really needed to be replaced. Mm -hmm. And um, so I bought him a car and left it in my name. I had the title, even though it was his, and I was buying Paying, I've just hooked him onto my insurance and um, for that car and bought his tag. And so our last discussion, um, I wanted, I told him I wanted to, you know, title it over to him and let him go ahead and take up, you know, the insurance. And he said, we'll give him a couple of months because he was getting this, this job. And there was um, something posted about him trying to get a job at a pepper plant, but I don't think he was able to get it. And, um, I don't know all the details. There was just something about that. So the last time I talked to him and any of his friends um, on Facebook, he had some really close friends, a couple of guys, some girls from high school. You talked to one of them, Leah. Mm -hmm. and um, But he also had a, another friend or two from high school and then a couple of guy friends from when he lived in Mississippi. One of those guy friends had come to visit us at our home in Nashville. And um, so... Um, as, as far as anybody, any of them, none of them have heard, heard from him after about March 10th. So you, as far as you know, you were the last person to anybody that you know within Eric's circle of friends and all those people, you were the last person to talk to him on the phone. You could hear his voice. He was responding to you in contrast to texting or a message through Facebook or something like that. The last person outside of Michigan who heard from him was you on March 10th. Yeah, I think he talked to Leah some on the phone too, but not after that. None of us okay. heard from him after the 10th. He, um, I have his voice on my um, recorder on my phone, you know, messages, that where he called me from Michigan, I kept it, and I'm glad I did. That's He's got his voice on there. But it was earlier. It was when he... Um, had gotten a new phone, and he called to give me the number and told me to call him. 
but the last time I actually talked to him was the 10th. Uh, now, the, I'm not the last person to have actually talked to him in person because the motel owner said he talked to him on March 14th. So the last reliable, honest, telling the same story every time the police, the media, the family, anybody talked to this man, the motel owner, um, he's told the same story to all of us. He talked to Eric on March 14th because Eric came in and paid his rent on March 14th, paid a week, a week's rent. So, and, uh, so does that mean when he pays his, his rent, that means he planned on staying there for another week? Is that sure paying up, like pay, paying up front, up front? So he would be covered through the twenty-first. Right, and he didn't have a lot of money, so he wasn't going to pay a week's rent if he didn't intend to stay there. And the motel owner said he stayed two nights. That he saw. Um, I don't know that he actually saw Eric, but his car was there, the lights were on, so he assumed, I think, that he was in his room on the fifteenth and sixteenth. Okay, so we're getting closer to that March 21st date that tends to be out there, I guess. Yeah, well, see, the reason the police are using the 21st as his disappearance date is because Kendra changed her story and from what she told our family and the Ohio police. She changed her story. She told us she had seen Eric the last time she saw him was in April in the Buena Vista Township in front of her house. And she verified that story to the Ohio police after we reported him missing here. Um, they called her, and she said, I told Eric's mom, you know. And so she was verifying what she said to me. But I kept calling the motel owner and asking different questions. And one of the questions I finally asked him was, now, what was the exact date that my son checked out of the motel? He said, oh, Miss Franks, your son did not ever check out. He said, he told me that Kendra came on the 20th and the 21st and got Eric's things out of his room, cleaned his room out. Came, she did it on the 20th, but she came back on the 21st and turned the key in, took, got some things. He said that on um, the, see, like Eric um, rented the room on the 14th. He was there on the 15th and 16th, then like on the 17th, 18th, and 19th, he said the lights were on at night, but nobody was there. He said he went into Eric's room, and Eric's things were scattered all around in the room, and but Eric wasn't there. And then he said on the 20th, Kendra came, and so he stepped into the room. He knew who Kendra was. He said he knew that Eric and Kendra had a child together. Uh, he had actually friended Eric, and Eric worked for him some and for his brother. So he stepped in the room and and asked her, where is Eric? And he said that, and he's told this same story over and over and over. He said that she said, um, he won't be back to your motel. He's, he got a job. He got an apartment. He won't be back to your motel. And um, then, so, you know, people have said to me, why would the motel owner let her take his thing? Why didn't he call the police or why did he let her turn in Eric's key? Eric, Because he said over and over, Eric was not with her, no doubt. He mm -hmm. was not with her. But I think it was because he knew they had had a relationship, and he had seen her at the motel, he said, almost every day that she'd come to visit Eric, and he, had, he knew about their child, and so he trusted her. 
And um, didn't seem like any big uh, deal to him. He she he had a relationship with her, some kind of relationship. Yeah, he told me. He said they were either in love or mighty good friends because he had seen them hugging, and uh, that's what he told me. But um, she. But when I found out that he that that Eric did not check himself out, I immediately. When I hung up with the motel owner, I called my son-in-law, and I told him what the motel owner, Mr. Patel, had told me. And he said, um, "You need, we need to call the police. And um, so we did, but the, the Ohio police got in touch with the Michigan police. And so, by, you know, the Michigan police are the ones that needed to take it over. But, um, the, but when the Michigan police at that time had it, they talked to Kendra and she changed her story. I mean, every bit of it. She never told them one thing she told me. I talked to her two times. She never told them one thing she told my sister. She talked to her two times. Not one word. Her whole story changed. That's where they came up with the 21st. Okay. Because she, because she then said, oh, the motel owner is not right. He's not telling the truth. He said, she said, Eric was with me. She said, I was just helping him get his stuff out of his room. She even told details that she got a plastic bag and got things out from under his sink, and she put everything in his car and his trunk, and she watched him drive away. Well, she had just told me and my sister that she watched Eric drive away from her house in, in April. So like two weeks later after, after that at least. Oh, well, a whole different month, a whole yeah. different township, whole different details. She told me that the last time she saw Eric, he was sitting in his car for two days in front of her house, that they had had an argument, and she told me that he was trying to get her to make up, and she said, I, won't go, I didn't make up with him, and I watched him leave. Well, I've been to that house. It's a dead end in the country. No way did she watch him go anywhere from her house. Only thing she could have seen was him going down a dirt road, a road, uh, you know, mm-hmm. no way. She would have had to follow him to see what, where he was going. I mean, it's just not possible. And what she told the police then was um, that the motel owner wasn't telling the truth, that Eric was with her, and that she helped him, and then they drove away in different directions, and that both times she said he's going out west or going to see an old girlfriend in California, and, and that girlfriend actually was a girlfriend in Mississippi, the one she named. I don't know if she's ever been to California. So to fight, suffice to say, she was telling different stories to different people all over the place, and she told you more than one different story. Yeah, well, later, she told the police later, maybe Eric um, went over to the motel where he worked. He worked for that motel owner's brother at another motel. And he said, maybe, she said, maybe he went over there to tell them goodbye. She, she'd never said that before. And then in June, we found this out later, that she had told another story to um, Shane. He's a friend of Eric's from Mississippi, uh, but he now lives in Arizona. And, um, but they were all Facebook friends. So when he wasn't hearing from Eric after the 10th of March, he messaged Kendra and said, um, I'm not hearing anything from Eric. What's going on? Other people were on the page saying, where's Eric? Because Eric created the page, and then he wasn't on there all of a sudden. And he was a very social person on you know, media and um, posting more than once a day and everything. And then he just stopped. 
and so um, so Shane got in touch with Kendra and said, "Well, where, where's Eric?" And she and this is in June, like and four months said, later. Four months later, yeah, after March, mid March. Right. And I didn't know about this until after he disappeared, of course. And I wasn't even on Facebook, but I didn't even know about it. Well, all these conversations till later. But um, Shane said that he um, that Kendra said to him, "Oh, Eric's Eric's with me. He's well." I'll tell him to get in touch with you. This is in June. And Shane never heard from me. And so later, after um, we reported him missing and it came out on the news and everything, Shane got back in touch with her, and he said, Did you kill Eric? He, and he, he said, just outright asked her. Yeah, this was after you know we had reported him missing, and he just got in touch with her and said, Did you kill him? And she said, No, you moron. I didn't kill him, and I can prove it. And that was, look how long ago that was. My son's been missing six years next month, and the police never, ever ask her, what do you mean you can prove you didn't kill him? Because I kept telling the police, you know what? That has to mean either she didn't do it, but she knows who did. That's what it sounds like. Or, yeah. or he's alive, and she can show us where he is. And they yeah. never, and, and the, what the police officer told me, he said, if we ever, if we find Eric's body, we might ask her. That's the word. That's what he told me. Let's, now, let's, he, uh, yeah, let's move back for a minute, though. Let's go back to March. You talked to him on March 10th. When did you know that something was wrong? Let's put you, because we're kind of, some of this, we're kind of looking this back in retrospect. At the time, you talked to him. How often did you usually talk to Eric on the phone? Once a week? Twice a week? No, it wasn't any certain time. And he was only there, you're talking about while he was in Michigan. Yes. Sure. Um, no, we didn't talk real often because, I mean, he was only there five months, and he wasn't mm -hmm. one to call me every day or every week. It would, uh, no, so he, like, he might call me on Mother's Day and things like that, and then he'd call me when he wanted to tell me something. Or Now, when, you know, when he lived here in town... Of course, we talk probably about every day, real often, but um, so, not every single day. So That's going probably. going ten days without talking to him on the phone would not have been unusual. No, not really. I mean, not really. I mean, he didn't call him like okay, like now that I'm a widow, my daughter checks on me pretty much every single day. We talk more than once a day. Well, one thing, she's a daughter, and and but Eric, Eric looked looked out for me, but. He didn't call me as often, and back um, when I mean when he went up there, I knew what he was doing. I knew what he was there for. I knew where he was, um, and we did talk to each other. And um, you know, I, I really wasn't worried when I didn't hear from him. Okay, the, I would call him, and and there was no answer. And you know, I didn't think a lot about it. Some people have said to me. Well, they didn't say it to me. I've seen where people would post on Facebook under his, you know, his flyers about his missing information. I only saw it a time or two where somebody said, wonder why they didn't report him missing sooner. You'd had to be in the situation to understand it. Um, he, he was, um, I knew what he was doing. I knew where he was. And then when he told me, well, I'm not, you know, I'm going to be in a rural area with a little reception, then when I would call and he didn't answer, that's what I thought it was. There's, there's, 
he's so far out in the, as he would call it, the boonies. Um, that was another thing. That would have been a word he used, and when it was posted, something about rule, his own, his wife said, oh, Eric didn't say that. Somebody's pretending to be him. But anyway, I didn't think that much about it at first, because um, so I'd just leave a message, and then I'd get an email. Well, so and when was this? And when was and when would this have been? Well, from the time that I didn't talk to him anymore after March the tenth, yes. up through August, up through August, I was getting emails. I didn't get lots of them, but then, like I said, he wouldn't. Have, I didn't call him every day or every week. I called him when I wanted to ask him something or tell him something, and he didn't answer the phone. But I would get an email, and like one time, I I called him and I said. Son, do you care if I give your TV you left here to um, to one of your aunts? And um, he and I got an email back that said that's fine, give it to her. And uh, but they were choppy and short, and there was just something about them. Later, looking back at them, mm-hmm. that I don't think it was Eric at all. But at the time, I thought it was. But when the email stopped, then I got really worried. And I know my daughter and I were talking about it, and we said, well, we know what he's doing. And he's in the country, and he's been emailing, but now he stopped. Let's give him a little bit more time. That's why we didn't report him missing until actually in November. So it was about right. three months period. Now, look, in hindsight, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yes, I wish that I had known what was going on, uh, obviously, and I would have done something sooner. But we, the crazy thing is... Um, when, so about three months went by there where I, my sisters reminded me that I was getting concerned when we went on a sister trip we do once a year that I was telling them I'm kind of worried about Eric because I'm not getting anything but emails back. And then when the email stopped in August, um, it was it was kind of strange because we reported him missing, my daughter and I did here in Ohio, and we I posted I didn't post it, Leah did, his friend Leah, but we told Leah that we had reported him missing, and she posted something on the Facebook page she and those eight people were on together that his Eric's family was worried about him and had reported him missing. And um, that I think on the next, the day after she posted it, I got another email, and I had not had one since August. Hmm. And it, I don't have a doubt in my mind None of those were from Eric, and that last one, no way. So, so there was somebody, we don't know who that person, we have suspicion, but we don't know, but uh, somebody was posing as Eric. Somebody was getting, was able to get your messages that you were leaving for him, and then this person was responding, but in a typed form through email. Yeah, and the police told me that Kendra had Eric's phone. That's what they told me. Mm-hmm. Um that she had his phone and she was using it. And um, her husband told one of my sisters that she had a collection of phones, that he found them in an old purse of hers, that she had a collection because she had lots of boyfriends. <clears throat> and, that Did you, and, um, and so people should know, we've mentioned uh, a friend of Eric's, her name is Leah, who I also had a chance to talk to extensively uh, about Eric's disappearance. Uh, and she had some 
conversations that were very much the same where she would leave a message and then he allegedly Eric would get back to her with very short responses so he was not just doing it to you he was doing it to other friends as well right right and Leah said that in retrospect it's that wasn't Eric but at the time mm. we didn't have any why would we have ever suspicion that the people he went up there to meet would mm. turn on him or any and you know at the time that he um when after I talked to Kendra and asked her you know do you know what happened what happened to Eric you know I knew he went up there to see her and, and their daughter um I got worried then after she said oh he just left you know I I didn't have didn't know I, I thought it was a little suspicious but I didn't have any reason not to believe her and so I was thinking, imagining all kinds of things. I thought, well, what if he went to sleep in his car and somebody knocked on his window and said, um, you know, hey, you got a dollar or something? Well, he would have given them a dollar. And, and so then they might, I thought, oh, then they might have killed him and took his car. But when I got those emails after that, my son-in-law said, like the one I got in November, he said, Joanne, you don't have to worry anymore about some stranger killing him because no stranger is going to kill somebody and then email their mother. Well, maybe, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's they true. They couldn't, they wouldn't. Maybe, maybe. Um, so what did, the, what did the police, what did, what did the police do then? Once it got to November, what did the police, I mean, that's a long way to backtrack now. We're talking about six months since you officially talked to him. What did the police do? Well, the, it first went to Bridgeport where the motel was when the police in Ohio got in touch with the Bridgeport police. So they had it, um, just a very short time. I don't remember, very short time. And they didn't do any forensics in the motel room. I asked them to, and they said, oh, it's been too long. Well, that's not true. I was told not long ago they could still do it. There's, that it's not too late to see, you know, although I don't think that's where he was killed. I don't have any reason to believe that's where he was killed. But, um, but so the Bridgeport police had it a very short time and turned it over to the Buena Vista police where... John and Kendra lived, where where um, she first told me the last time she saw him, and they had it for about a year, and they um, it was Sergeant Waterman. Uh, he did some investigating. Um, he said he interviewed um, John and Kendra a couple of times, once at their house. He said he just asked them what's your name, that kind of thing, and then later called when they all went to Florida and when we reported Eric missing, all of that family took off and went to Florida. So um, they, when they came, the police asked them to come back and they said, well, we're coming back anyway. This is what the police told me. And so they interviewed them then for a while. And um, I remember asking them, did you talk to Emily too? And they said, no. And I said, well, I wish you would. So they said they would. And they told me later they did. Is this when you found out that her stories were changing. You told me that she told you one thing, she told the police another. It was then this time frame that she, her stories changed. Yeah, her, um, she told, okay, she, when she told me a story and she, 
my sister, my youngest sister, got in touch with her. This was after we were worried about Eric, she, before we actually reported him missing. I, I'm pretty sure it was before that. She called um, Kendra and told her we were worried about Eric, and so she gave her a story, which was the same one she gave me later, about he was in front of her house, they had an argument, he uh, left after a couple days, she saw him go toward out west or California. And um, so she ta- she said, well, I wish you would call my sister, Joanne. She's worried about Eric. So um, she did call me after my sister asked her to. She called me, Kendra did, and gave me the same story. And we talked about things about how she let Eric know that Emily was his child and different things. And then, um, and she was fairly friendly but she said, I'll get back with you. She said, I'll see if I can see if Eric is around here, still around here somewhere. She said, one of my neighbors thinks he, she saw his car. We went and talked to the neighbor, and the neighbor said, I would never have known. I didn't, I didn't know his car. You know, the whole thing, hmm. it just wasn't right. And so as that was in that time between August and November of 2011 when you got started to get worried? Really worried, yes, after the email stopped. Okay. Um, Now, um, Kendra, I called her back. That's the way I talked to her two times. And she was kind of irritated at me that I called back. She said, I told you, I'll call you if I hear anything. So I never talked to her again until, which you may want to talk about later, but until we went to Florida and two of my sisters and I went to Florida and talked to her. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a moment. But what have you learned about John and Kendra since Eric disappeared? that you didn't know at the time when Eric was there? Well, I was told by the police and family members and friends of that family that they had an open marriage. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, the, and, and I know... Did Kendra uh, not have uh, some sort of... We won't, say his name, but didn't she have some sort of sugar daddy that was... Well, now I can't prove that and don't know mm. that for sure, but that's what some of her family thinks and told me. Okay, well, these are family talk, and usually family members can be trusted sometimes. But is that is that possible? Do you believe it? Well, I know a lot of information mm. that friends on Facebook and our family... Um, there's a Facebook page that is a discussion about Eric that's a private page, and they've been a big help. Um, ladies on there have been, oh, such a big help in doing um, investigating through Facebook. And my sisters and I have done it our own legwork as well as other kinds uh, on Facebook. And, um, you know, I've I found out a lot of things that makes me believe, yeah, that may be right. Okay. But... Uh, just to suffice to say that John and Kendra were a little bit shady, uh, and they had been involved in a in a in a business in which they got sued, and this happened shortly before Eric got up there. And we haven't even talked about this. That um, there there was this. We talked about it. That there was a suspicion that John and Kendra might have been trying to pump Eric for money, thinking that he had money or was going to get money. Well, yes, because Kendra told me that. She told my sister that. John, I never talked to John, but John talked to my younger sister twice. And they, 
John and Kendra both told my sister, and then Kendra told me that um, they thought Eric had inherited lots of money when his dad died. And uh, I'm talking big money because she named a number. And um, I don't know if she, if Eric and Kendra played each other, you know, built each other up. I would have no way of knowing what either one of them said to each other. But I do know that my younger sister, when she talked to Kendra, said that Kendra acted like she still, this is after Eric disappeared, that we'd reported him, well, about the time we reported him missing, that she still was surprised to find out, acted surprised anyway, that he didn't have lots of money and was going to leave it to their daughter. And that's what um, mm-hmm. John told my sister that, that Eric mm-hmm. said, he said Eric t- said he had lots of money and they, he was going to leave it to their daughter. So what you're saying is in one way Eric was trying to impress Kendra by making himself out to be maybe some had some possessions and some money that he didn't and I have, and you have no I idea have no idea no, no idea any of that because we're talking about people that don't tell the truth right um, Kendra's told all these different stories I don't know whether he ever right. told her anything like that if he did I don't know I have no idea okay. I just know that she and John both were were of the mindset that Eric had money. And I know I was told by someone very reliable they were in desperate need of money at the time that he was lured up there. Yeah, because they were getting sued for some business uh, that they were involved in. Well, they were getting sued because a man was found dead on their property. Um, They had an adult care facility. I guess they still do an adult care facility place, and a man was found deceased on the property. Now, it's my understanding, and that's public knowledge, um, it, um, it was my understanding, you know, they weren't found guilty of any of, of doing anything to the man, but it was my understanding there was a civil lawsuit by the family. Okay. Now, and some of this I got from media, some I go, you can find things on Facebook, and, and some of it, you know, here and there, I've talked to an awful lot of people that know the family. And Okay. Let's go back, and, and uh, before we get to what happened in Florida, because if the li- listeners, uh, there's another, there's going to be another side to this that we haven't even got into that makes this case e- even, uh, you know, a little stranger than it already is. But let's talk about the maid, and I know we don't want to go into this too much, but w- from what I learned in talking to Leah about this, is that it seems that this maid that you had mentioned before might have had the hots for Eric. Uh, and that he I had... Have no you have no idea about that. It must well, have been. I mean, I've talked to the maid more than once. So okay. Do you, do, you, do you believe that? Do you think so? She told me she's married. Mm-hmm. Um, she told me her husband knew that she and Eric were friends. Um that she took him one time somewhere he needed to go, and I guess his car wasn't working or something at the time. And um, I, I know the motel owner and the, the housekeeper both told me that Kendra was jealous of her and told her to stay away from Eric. They both told me that. Um, but she said that they were just friends. Uh, so whether she, you know, 
I think Eric indicated on Facebook that she kind of flirted with him. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. Um, her hus- She told me that her husband was um, a double amputee. And um, because Kendra indicated to the police that Ann's husband probably killed Eric. And um, so the police went and talked to, to, to her and to her husband. And um, they never suspicioned either one of them of anything, and they never were, you know, they never were suspects. Okay, fair enough. Let's move on to Kendra. Now, whether she had a crush on Eric or not, mm-hmm. she may have had. I don't. She didn't. She didn't indicate that to me, but that doesn't mean she didn't. I don't know. Okay, because uh, Lee and I, Lee and I had conversations that were along the lines that was a little more than that. Not that they had a relationship. But, right. but we're just gonna leave. We're just gonna. They did not have a relationship that we know of. But there was some no, more Kendra things. Kendra tried to indicate. Kendra tried to indicate to the police that they did. Yeah. But there was never any. As far as I, I've met the woman. She seemed nice, but she wasn't Eric's type, and um, and she's married. And um, I think she took him some cookies one time, and he took a picture and put it on Facebook. I saw that later, and um, he had a he he had a good sense of humor. And he had posted, I think, something about she was a psycho. I think he called Kendra a psycho, too. That's just mm. something he said. So, Okay. All right. I, I, I have to ask these questions. I have to right. because, right. Well, you know, when you hear about a married woman being nice to a guy that is staying in the motel and he, she went into his room one time, and we didn't even talk about that, that he went in, she went into his room one time and he was hiding behind the bed. You know, she, she went in there to clean the room. Yeah, though. that was her job. Yeah, that's what she told me. She knocked on the door, and like maids do, and there was no answer. She went in to clean the room, and he was hiding behind the bed. And I think he was hiding because he was afraid of the man that threatened to kill him. Okay. Um, let's move on to Florida. So, when did John and Kendra move to Florida? I don't remember the exact month, but somewhere, somewhere around the time, um, it wasn't the exact time we reported him missing, but it was a little while after that. I couldn't tell you the exact date. I probably have it somewhere. I'm sorry. Late 2011, early 2012, let's say. I think it might have been 2012, but I'm not going to say for sure. But it was after, it was, to me, it wasn't long after we reported him missing. That, that, and I've talked to family about their family about that, and it was a sudden thing, according to some of them, that they just, you know, they up and left. Because it wasn't just the two of them and their kids. It was extended family. and Everybody moved. There was a, several people went. And what happened to Kendra and Emily when they got there? Um, they were both diagnosed with cancer, weren't they? That's, yeah, apparently um, there was a a Facebook page for Emily called Team Emily Battle It um, where they were raising funds um, for her cancer treatment. And then um, Kendra's adopted also, and um, she said she never knew. This is is from an interview. She did an interview with Emily, and I saw it um, about their cancer that she didn't. Um, 
didn't know about her family background and that it was some sort of cancer that runs in families, a certain thing, because it was unusual for, uh, Emily was only 18. That's unusual for stage four breast cancer in a woman that young. And then her mom having it at the same time, stage four, um, would be extremely unusual. But, um, I mean, I, I know there are people that questioned the cancer uh, with Kendra. Even her own family has told me that. Uh, some members, very close members of her family, questioned if, if, she's, uh, if she had it. But, I, I mean, I guess I believe she did. And you, you and your sister, you said, went to Florida. Did you not? Yes. And two of my sisters. Was this before or after the the two of them were diagnosed with cancer? After. After, okay. And what what did you do while you were down there? Well, we went, well, actually, we went to Jacksonville, Florida, and helped hunt for a, a missing, another missing man, uh, Joshua Davis. We went there with the Q Center in North Carolina, met them there. We, hunt, we went on a, I never had done that before, go on a search for a missing person. And uh, we did that. And then we went on to um, the Daytona Beach area um, to, I wanted to give some money to Eric's child um, for her cancer and give it to her in her biological father's name. And um, so I got a money order and um, I got her, I called her, someone gave me her phone number, I called her and told her that I would like to meet her, and that if Eric, I, I said, do you know, you know Eric's missing? And she said, yes, I, I know, and I'm sorry. That's what she said. And a very, she was very kind and, and sweet, and, and I said, um, well, you know, if, if he could, he would be there for you, and I would like to give you a little bit of money for your cancer treatment, and I would like to meet you. And she indicated to me, that she would would do that. She said she was with her boyfriend eating, and um, she would call me back. And and um, so my sisters and I walked down to the beach, and um, I, I told them, I said, oh, I left my phone in the car. I need to go get my phone. So I, I went up there and got my phone, and I had a text that I, I honestly, I don't know, but I don't think it was from Emily. It's because she had been so nice and, talked so kindly and and um and the text said it would be most appreciated said this is emily it would be most appreciated if you would not try to contact me again and so i didn't and my sisters and i left just started back home wow but i did run it but we did run into kinder uh, how how did you end up running into Kendra after all that? Actually, we ran into Kendra right before I called Emily. Um, well, we didn't we didn't know we'd see any of them. We just hoped we'd get to meet Emily, but we knew where they lived, and we just drove by there. And honestly, at first, we thought it was Emily. They looked so much alike, and they were both bald um, at the time. From we knew that from Facebook, and. Um, so we thought it was Emily, and we went down there to speak to her, and it was Kendra. And she was very rude. Uh, she was shaking like a leaf, and um, 
which the police said she did when they talked to her. And um, did you just, did you ask her what she did to Eric? Well, it was a very short conversation. She was actually in the laundry room. We just she walked into the laundry room, and so we just drove by, and and two of my sisters got out, or well, one of my sisters and myself, we got out and just went up to the door and just I I said. Um, I'm Eric's mom, because I hadn't seen that woman. I wouldn't have even remembered her at all, but I, I hadn't seen her since she was a teenager. And I said, I'm, hi, I'm Eric's mom. And she said, yeah, I know who you are, and uh, like that. And um, I said, well, I heard that you and Emily both have cancer, and I'm sorry. And um, I would like to, to meet Emily and uh, give her a little bit of money in Eric's name. And she said, uh, I think the way I worded it was, I'd like to meet my granddaughter. I think it's what I said, because she said, you're not her grandmother, because Eric is adopted. And that was like hitting below the belt. And I thought later, that's a strange thing to say, because she's adopted. That must mean she doesn't. And I found out later, yeah, she didn't have a lot to do with her family. I've talked to her family. So um so that mm-hmm. explained that, I guess. That's just the way she felt about it. But you never asked and him and asked her about Eric, just point blank. What happened to Eric? I did. Well, what I it was, you know, we didn't plan to see her, mm-hmm. so it wasn't like I had something planned to say. It was all a chance meeting, and I remember um, my one of my the sister that got out with me said, Deborah. She said, um, "We just want one story from you." And I said, yeah, you told so many different stories. And she said, "Um, I tried to help y'all, but you turned on me. And I have no idea to this day what in the world, however, she ever tried to help us. And I said, "Um, no. I said, said, no, your husband threw you under the bus because he had indicated to my sister and that, well, what he said to my sister was, Kendra may have killed Eric or got one of her many boyfriends to hurt him. I think I'm. That's what John quoting. John said to, to my sister Deborah, because okay. she talked to him two times. I never talked to him, and um, so that that's pretty much all she just said. Um, get out of my way, because we were standing by the door and the door was open. We were not inside the room. We were out on you know, their sidewalk, and so we just stepped back and let her come on out, and she took off in a huff, and um, and she said, I'll call, I'm going to call the police, and my sister just said, well, go ahead. We've already talked to them, and we had. I'd stopped and talked to the Florida police and told them, you know, what we were there for and tried to give them one of Eric's missing flyers. They didn't want to take it. They said, you need to get the Michigan State Police to contact us about your son. Now, the listeners should know something. And this is, uh, I don't know how else to put this, Joanne, but this next part is a little strange to me. Haven't run into this before. But the listeners should know that Kendra Firmingham died in August of 2016. So not like six months ago from when this phone call, this interview I'm doing, it was recorded. But what is, allegedly from her cancer, but what has her family said about her death? Well, 
um, I, I've talked to her mother several times. I've talked a few times. I've talked to her sister several times. They don't. I don't believe she's dead, but now all right. I want to. I'm talk. sorry to interrupt you for a second, just so the listeners heard that. Kendra Firmingham allegedly died here in Florida last August, but her family does not believe that she's dead. Now, I personally looked up and found the funeral home allegedly that took care of her remains, but there was no right. viewing. There was nothing like that. Little short on paperwork, but once again. The family doesn't believe, possibly, that Kendra is dead. Okay. Please continue uh, with that. Well, her, um, I was contacted by, I'm not going to say who, because she kind of is afraid. You don't have to. For, you don't have to. Yeah. She's kind of afraid of no, things. No need. But she contacted, this woman contacted me uh, that Kendra had died, and I asked her, was she sure? And she said, well, that's what somebody had told her, but she wasn't really sure. She said, it's kind of weird because she too, along with my one of my sisters, along with the media, along with the police, along with me, myself, have looked up that same funeral home page that you did, and it's really, really strange. So this person told me, well, I don't know. There's no condolences. There's no, no there was no funeral there. Um, and so one of my, someone that called the funeral home told me that what they were told by the funeral home was that, the, I don't know how to word this exactly, without, but and this is what I'm saying. Somebody told me that uh, this uh, was the funeral the home. The listeners understand. The listeners understand. Yes. Right. That, um, that John had said he didn't have the money for, for a burial, so the director sympathized with him. Um, he said that he said he had four kids to take care of, and actually all of the kids except the youngest one are take care of themselves. One of them is married and doesn't even live around there and has a child. So I, anyway, that's what he said, that funeral director said. that. Um, so he just arranged for one of those... Um, embalm burial uh, situations, but that he allowed some the kids to view their mother. And, um, and you know, if she had just turned 40, and it was August 30th when she allegedly passed away. I mean, I guess I believe she did, but her, but I'm, I don't know the woman that well at all. I don't know the woman at all. The woman, and, the woman meaning... Kendra, I don't Kendra, really okay, know her, okay. All right. but her mom, her mom and her sister do not believe she's dead, and um, they've told me that more than once. And um, they were not invited to go down there. They didn't get a card in the mail. How did they find out that she was dead? Do you remember that uh, they told you? Yeah, one of Kendra's brothers went to Florida with them. He's in business with them, and. Uh, it's my understanding that he let them know, but he was supposed to take pictures. Now, this is what I'm told by her mom and sister, supposed to take pictures and send to them, but they never got them, and that um, they didn't go to Florida, but there are some other relatives there that believe she was dead. So I don't know. I mean, 
it, the whole thing is a little bit strange. Uh, even one of their business partners was asked by a very reliable source that I would trust with my life, um, was, um, at, was asked about Kendra's death, and they said they didn't know she died, that they had just seen her shortly before that. So, And there's no record of a 911 call if anybody we don't know at this point if somebody anybody's looked into a 911 call or a hospital visit or an EMT response to somewhere there's we don't know about anything at that at this time has anybody looked into that there has to be a record somewhere well i don't know about all that i do mm -hmm. know uh, hopefully the police did but mm -hmm. i do know that um john said that um he took her that he took her to the hospital or somewhere, hospital, I guess, and um, that she and a friend, a very close, I guess the best, John's best friend actually talked to me not long ago and said that um, I think she died in his arms, um, in the John's arms. Now, you know, I feel funny saying these things when I didn't see it. Mm -hmm. And I'm being, obviously, I mean, I'm going by what I was told. And, um, by people that should know what they're talking about, but, but you well, know. I don't want. To, I don't think we're dealing in hearsay here. When the when the parent, when the, a family member, a mother of a woman, says that she doesn't believe that her daughter is dead, I mean that's not like through the grapevine type of thing. I know. You know, that's usually a pretty reliable source. But let's move on to this. Well, what have you? What did you tell me about Kendra possibly having a twin? Yeah, that's what her mom and her sister told me, um, that they believe she had um, an identical twin. Um, her sister told me she thought she saw Kendra just a few weeks ago uh, in Saginaw, and I know she was there um, from somebody that should know what they're talking about, that they said they actually talked to her. Um, Kendra's about, sister. Well, maybe Kendra's a, sister. About a month, well, but about a month before she supposedly died, someone there did mm. talk to her um, okay. that she came to Saginaw. Um, but, yeah, her sister thinks she saw her, but she wasn't positive, but she thought she saw her at the, around the mall. Wow. Which they have a business there, so it was. she said she thought she saw her coming out of there. But uh, And I know her mom and her sister do not mind at all they know that, matter of fact, they know that I'm doing an interview with you. Mm -hmm. I talk to them pretty mm -hmm. frequently, and they don't. They would do. They will do anything necessary to um, to find some resolution for not only for Eric but um, to get to the bottom of whether the daughter well, Kendra's actually dead or not. Well, there's some other things that they told me that. You know, they they don't think Eric is the first person to be involved in a situation like this. But I don't know that, you know, I'm not accusing anybody of anything okay. along those lines because that's pretty serious and I don't know. Okay, well, then let's stick it to, let's just, of course, stick to Eric's disappearance. What do you believe happened to your son? I think he was murdered. I think... Um, The man that 
an eyewitness saw and heard. I'm just hesitant to say, but I think anybody can know what I'm talking about. I threatened to put a bullet in Eric's head, and this eyewitness um, went to the police and ID'd the man, and with their they showed him pictures. He ID'd him. This is what the police told me, and the man told me. Um, and he was interviewed on uh, Channel 12 in Saginaw. He wanted his face blurred and his voice muffled. I mean, if somebody kills somebody, you don't want your face and name out there. And um, so he said that it wasn't that Eric told him. It was not the first time this same man had threatened to kill him. And uh, Eric had posted something. I found this out later, of course, uh, something about this time I'll be the man with the gun. So somebody had threatened him with a gun before. I figured that's why he was hiding behind the bed. And... Um, but this man saw it. He saw it, and um, matter of fact, there were two witnesses to, while I'm thinking of this, there were two witnesses that saw Kendra clean Eric's room out. It wasn't just one. There were two. Okay. I didn't know that till not long ago. Okay. And if, can I, I'm going to, I need to ask these questions because the listeners expect this. Mm -hmm. Are you talking about John Carnes? That's who he ID'd. Okay. He um, gave detail um, uh, to the police. Now, the police told me this. It was um, Scott Woodard was the detective at the time. Um, this man, uh, we had put up missing flyers. My, uh, we had friends that did, uh, people we didn't really know, but Facebook people did. And then my sisters and I put up flyers. So... All around the motel where Eric had stayed was one of the places we put them. So, um, Leah, Eric's friend Leah gave me a lot of information and to my one of my sisters, two of my sisters, I guess, but one of them went through all of the information. It was Facebook stuff. And my sister found the name of a man that we'd never heard of in there. And so she asked me, do you know who that man, I didn't want to go through all the stuff at the time. It was very stressful. And my sister did it for me, thankfully. And she said, who, do you know who this man is? I said, no. So we asked Leah. She said, I don't know who that is. So we asked Eric's wife. She said, I've never heard of him. So we found him on Facebook and I contacted him and he didn't get back with me. So I contacted him a second time and he got back with me and he said, yes, I, I was in the motel where Eric was, and we became fast friends. He said, we both liked to read. We were both separated from our wives. He said, matter of fact, Eric convinced me to go back to my wife. He said, um, we made really close friends, and he said, um, I knew all about Kendra and, and Emily and uh, the whole thing, and he said um, he knew who they were. He'd seen them there more than once, at the, seen her there a lot, but saw um, John there, too, he said, and had seen Emily there. Um, but um, he said that he left the motel and went somewhere off working, and uh, when he came back, he saw those flyers we'd put up there at a party store across the street from the motel, and he thought, he said, I remember thinking, I don't know, have any re there would be no reason for Eric to be missing, and so he just, maybe he figured we'd found him by then, and he didn't, you know, just didn't do anything about it or anything. And um, so when when we contacted him, he said, um, he said, oh, he knew 
he knew a lot because he and Eric talked a lot. And he said, um, he said, I was there when um, Eric was, this man threatened to kill Eric. And he said, he told me about, I said, well, you need to go to the police because we, Eric is still missing. So he waited two weeks. So we told the police about him and uh, he wasn't contacted by the police for two weeks. Two weeks went by and I got kind of agitated about that because I thought they need to talk to that man right now. You know, he, he knows things, he saw things. So I just called the media and I had uh, been interviewed by Terry Camp in Saginaw before on Channel 12. And so I called him and I said, I want you to interview me. I want, I, we, I want something done about this. And he said, well, let me interview the man. And I said, well, if he's in agreement, that's fine with me. And so he was. He was in agreement, and he was. He interviewed him, and um, he told how he what he saw, what he heard, and he um, walked him through everything. Now, by this time, by the time I was trying to remember, the uh, Scott Woodard took over the case for a very short time. Uh, Gary Thomas had the case. He's the one that had it when we told him about this man and they had not contacted him and two weeks went by but Scott that that detective Thomas had to have some heart surgery so during that time detective Woodard came on the case and he said that Eric's case had been closed and that he got it he found it in a file and he file cabinet and he he re- had it reopened he said and he went to see the man took him uh, walked him through took him to ID the man that he threatened to kill Eric. He said he threatened. He said the man said, if you don't leave my wife alone, I'm going to put a bullet in your head. And he took him to the motel, walked him through where the cars were parked, well, you know, where he was, where Eric was, where everything happened. And, um, mm-hmm. I was trying to remember, they never contacted that man again. I, I don't think he's ever been contacted again. No, he, they never contacted this witness again. Do you think that do you, do you th- why do you think that Eric never told you about him him being threatened like that? Well, Any insight into that? Do I? Any insight into that? I'm sorry. Um, well, I don't know exactly when that happened the exact date or anything. So, you know, it could have been so close to the time that Eric disappeared that, you know, when mm-hmm. I talked to him on the 10th, he didn't mention it. Okay. But, you know, why? in some ways, some guys would be like, uh, oh, he didn't mean it. He ain't going to do anything, you know. Um, I can see that happening where he'd just think he's spouting off, even if he had threatened him more than once, that he's not going to do it. I mean, when you've never been beat up or you've never been um, shot or anything and you're not a person to carry a gun and things like that, I don't, you, you know, I, I mean, if somebody did that to me, sure, I'd be afraid. I'd probably go, I would, go, I would I'd go to the police and report them. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. He never mentioned it to me. Okay. And I don't think, I don't think he ever, well, he never mentioned it to his best friend, Leah, either. Yes, my, I know that. Yes, that's what she said. That's what she said. Mm-hmm. As, is this true that I, I believe we had talked about? Has John expressed an interest? John Carnes, has, has he expressed an interest in actually meeting with you? 
Well, that's what I've been told by, um, actually, um, the police told me that he told them that he tried to contact me on Facebook, and um, I've looked and looked and looked, and I've never seen where he tried to contact me in any shape, form, or fashion on Eric's. Eric has a page, Find Eric Lee Franks, and I keep that updated and make posts and post pictures. I've never seen a message from him on there. Um, he never messaged me on my private page, um, but that's what he said. And um, I told the police that um, I was I didn't want to meet with a man that might have done something to my child and um, without them. <laughs> and uh, then he sent word through his best friend in Saginaw told me that John said he would like to meet me and um, and my sister, because we were together, and he said, meet both of you, I think, like, meet you, like both of us, and would like for me to, um, for, to meet Emily, that it was, he his best friend said, John said it was Kendra that um, wouldn't let you meet Emily, and now that she's gone, you know, it's fine with John for you to meet her. Well, my thought was, Emily's 23 years old now. That's not some little kid that he can tell what to do. Right. If she want, and, 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 and I understand he did say it's up to her, though. And, uh, but I thought, well, she's a young woman. She can contact me if she wants to. Now, when I heard that her mom had died, I felt really bad. I really did. I mean, I'm, I'm a good person, and I don't care who did what. I... I, that touched me to think that um, the two youngest, Emily and her sister, who's younger, would have lost their mom um, that young and everything, and um, she just turned 40. And Even if she you know, might have had something to do with Eric's death? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, that didn't take away me wanting justice and truth and everything for my child, mm -hmm. but I felt bad for them. So I private messaged Emily on her Facebook page and told her, I'm sorry that I heard your mom passed away. And I said, um, I know what that, how that feels to lose somebody you love so much. I said, my son uh, has not been found, and we believe he was murdered. And, 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 and my husband had died, and I've lost dear ones to me. And, um, but she never did respond mm -hmm. or anything. Okay. What what else would you like to tell the listeners before we wrap this interview up, Joanne? Well, if anybody's listening that has any information, um, I've I've appreciated so much people that have shared um, Eric's flyers and have done things to help us. Um, but if anybody has any information, um, Trooper Hillary House with the Michigan State Police is in charge of Eric's case now. And, um, you know, I wish they would get in touch with her. Um, people say to me sometimes, how can people live with themselves if they know something and they don't contact you? Well, I've had several people in that family that have, uh, to me it's several, have contacted me. And when I posted on um, Eric's community page that I post on that Kendra apparently had died, and then I thought it was very sad. Um, that's when her sister contacted me 
on Eric's page for everybody to read. It wasn't personal to me. She posted it to me, but it was where everybody could read it. And she said, I don't believe she's dead. My mom and I don't believe she's dead. And that's when that all started. Mm -hmm. And um, so there are people that will talk, but I've always said that if you kill somebody, you're not going to talk, not likely. And if you're covering for somebody that you love dearly, you're probably not going to talk. And if you're afraid of somebody or intimidated by somebody, because I've been told that there are a couple of people involved with this that um, they're like told what to do. And so, you know, but there's bound to be some more people out there other than the ones that have contacted me. And, and there's more than one or two in that group that have contacted me. And I appreciate it so much. And I hope, you know, if anybody else knows anything because hopefully one day it's going to go to trial and it would be better to talk about it now than to be found out later they know something and they wouldn't talk to me. That means you're just about as guilty. You have a Facebook page for Eric, don't you? Where, where can yes, listeners what can where, where can listeners find you on Facebook? Um, it's Find Eric Lee Franks. Um, that's his Facebook page. And um, hmm. I post, I don't, I used to post more often than I do now, but I try to keep it updated. It's just when there's something going on more, I will post more, but I post uh, his pictures. And um, there is a, um, a website, too, that was, I didn't set it up, but someone else uh, set that up. Uh, I think it's, I, don't, I haven't looked at it in a while, but I think it's mm -hmm. www.whereiseric.franks. But, okay. but, the, but his Facebook page that I take care of is just a Facebook page. It's not a website. But, um, and they could go there and um, get his flyers. And, and what's it called again? What's the name of it again, please? It's just Find Eric Lee Franks. Find Eric Lee Franks. Okay. Yeah, and it has, his, it has um, the cover photo is his picture and his car, because they've never found his car. Yeah, his car's missing, found, too. But Kendra had his phone. The police, that's what the police told me. She was using it to call. His phone was not used for, um, the, the, on the 21st, the day she says she last talked to him, there were two calls on his phone, three minutes each, the police told me. And it was between Kendra's phone and Eric's phone. And, I, and they said, so he was alive that day. And I said, that doesn't mean that. That could have been she had one phone, John had the other. How do, you don't, and they said, well, that's absolutely right. So then it went dead for, his phone went dead for about two weeks. And then all of a sudden it's used again to call Kendra's dentist, salvage yard, pest control places, a druggie. Um, a, a, there was a call on there to a surgeon. Hmm. Hmm. And that's the police told me that... Kendra had his phone, she called her own dentist, and now they asked her about that, and they said, she said, oh, maybe Eric remembered or heard that my, about my dentist, which is silly for a lot of reasons, but because Eric had full dentures, he had just gotten them not long before he went up there, really close to the time he went up there to Michigan, and they were fully paid for um, in a year, he was up in July after he went the July after he disappeared, he was supposed to go get his um, permanent ones. That was all paid for. All it was all visits to between that year were already prepaid. 
so he mm. didn't need to go see her, didn't he? Right. And I don't know. I don't know if you and I covered this, but we, uh, my sisters and I, um, found suspicious things on the property where I believe Eric was killed. There are things, and we told the police, but they never went and got them. Um, the owner of that land had an item that she was suspicious about. They did finally get that from her. It took a while. She said a couple of weeks, I think. And, um, you know, we've talked to the neighbors. We've um, There were suspicious things that uh, the person that moved into that house later was suspicious. They were there. It's a, it's a very detailed, a lot mm-hmm. of things that, you know, indicate that he was probably most likely murdered. But they found no that. DNA of his or any bones or any clothing or anything that's been proven to be Eric's? Well, the clothing was part of what we found and looked like blood was on part of it. Um, it was three. Mm-hmm. It was a comforter, a man's shirt, and a woman's housecoat. Uh, but the police never went and got them. They said they would. As far as I know, from what I was told, they never did get them. Um, they're not going to find any DNA if they don't go look for it. And they need to go. We tried to get them to do DNA testing at the motel, um, the house where we believe he was killed, um, on um, another item that was... Um, involved in it and hopefully they're going to do some of that but they it's been i mean six years yeah it, it should have been done um I'm, i appreciate what a couple of the police officers the one that's in charge now hillary house the one scott woodard that went to see the eyewitness um and i i appreciate them so much they were like answers to prayers because they really wanted to help and solve the case but it seemed like every time, you know, they both got um, demoted and um, weren't able to do the things that they um, they got job title changes might be a better way to put it. One of them told me he got demoted. Actually, Scott Woodard told me that, um, and he told my sister that he wanted to continue to work on Eric's case after he his title was changed. He said it had nothing to do with Eric's case as to why he explained it to me, why they changed his title from a uh, detective sergeant. But he um, he wanted to keep working, and he said he was told that if he, he could lose his career if he worked on it. Now, that may be because if you're not a certain title, you're not supposed to be working on it. But anyway, that was, that was really sad. And then the, um, the one that had it, for the year, uh, Sergeant Waterman, he, um, I appreciate what he did do. I really do. And, um, but he just dropped us like a hot potato when he couldn't solve the case. And, um, later, uh, another officer told us why, you know, that he, he said that he was trying to be chief of police and it wasn't going to look good for him. But now whether, you know, we didn't get that from Waterman, so I, mm-hmm. he might tell you a whole different story. And I'm not accusing anybody, but I know what I know. And they didn't do everything they should have done and still haven't done everything they should have done. And um, I'm sure it's not easy when a case, when there's no body and no car, I'm sure that's true. And there are cases that they can solve much easier. 
but my son is just as important as anybody else's son, whether they find the body or not. They need to do everything they can to find out what happened. I agree. Uh, last week's last week's episode also was the disappearance of a person where their car wasn't found as well. So yes, it's yeah. tough. It's tough. It's difficult. Yeah, and if you but if you don't go, I was. Um, there's lots of bodies of water around there, um, and there. Um, you got to go looking for. You can't just say you can't. If you don't go look, you're not going to find. And and um, mm. um, when that first officer that um, in Buena Vista, when um, we were going to go up there and meet him, we never have to this day met him because we were going to go up and meet him. And my son-in-law was emailing him and. Um, my son-in-law said, we're coming up there, uh, we'd like to meet with you. And he said, no, I'm going to be on vacation. And my son-in-law emailed him back and said, well, can we meet with your partner? And he said, no, he's going to be on road patrol. So he emailed him back and said, well, who can we talk to that you're fixing to give this case to? And we never to this day ever heard back from him. And we were told for years that he technically was still in charge. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> it finally, my daughter called um, after that happened, she um, well, it got turned over to the sheriff's department, and they had it two or three days. And um, Lieutenant Randy Fowl had it. And I talked with him, and he was very upset with me and my sister because he didn't. He said he didn't have time. We were bothering him, and he didn't have time. Um, if he had Eric's file on his case, he didn't have time to deal with it. So my daughter called. Um, he was so rude. We reported him to the sheriff, actually, but. Um, my daughter called the Michigan State Police and asked, would they take it? And they did, and they've had it now for, oh, most of the time, at least probably mm. five years, something like that, four years. Okay. Have they interviewed John Carnes any time recently? No. Well, no, no. I think the only time they ever interviewed John or Kendra was, Right after they moved, you know, before they went to Florida and right after mm. they were they were still actually moving. They had come back to Saginaw to pick up more stuff. And um, um, now John, according to public records and, you know, that he is a felon. And um, anyway, there's a lot involved with all of that, too. And... Um, I'm not, like I said, you know, a lot of things, public knowledge, a lot of things been told to me by family, a lot of, I mean, I'm just a mother searching for her child, searching for truth, searching for justice. I want to know the truth no matter what it is. I've believed for pretty much from the, right after we reported him missing, it wasn't long after that, that I was convinced he was dead because, um, Eric always lived by family or with family. He didn't call every day or every week, but we knew where he was. We knew what he was doing. Um, you know, that didn't mean he didn't take off and go on a trip and didn't tell us or something, but I'm saying we knew where he lived. We, you know, knew where to go visit him, and um, this was not like him. There's no way in the world people will sometimes say on his page, I hope you find him, and I'll say, well, we don't have any reason to believe he's alive. I hope he is, but if he is, there's something 
mm-hmm. something really wrong with his thinking because this is not something Eric would have ever done. And we've got every reason to believe he was killed. Yeah. Joanne, I appreciate you joining me on this episode of Unfound. I hope we can keep in touch, and I'm hoping that this episode uh, can maybe shake some things loose uh, in your son's case. I appreciate you having me on, and I want to say again, you know, I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but I know what the I know what I know. <laughs> but okay. I appreciate you having me on, and I I truly hope that it will make somebody else tell what they know and just grow a heart and tell what they know. Okay. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Unfound. Thank you. And that was my interview with Joanne Franks, mother of Eric Franks. I deeply appreciate her being on this episode. I need also thank Eric's friend Leah, who greatly contributed to the interview in her own way. I talked to her for about two and a half hours about what was going on in Eric's life at the time. She gave me a a different point of view, which was very helpful for me to understand those five months between October 2010 and March 2011. Something that Joanne and I didn't get to talk about was that Eric's disappearance is going to be featured on the next season of Disappeared, the TV show that plays on the ID channel that's been out for several years now. I'll be very interested to see how they cover his disappearance in 43 minutes and how I cover his disappearance in what in an episode that's going to be over two hours long. I'm sure some of you will also be interested to see that as well. Regarding Eric's disappearance, I'm going to leave most of the theorizing to you. What I want to do over the next few minutes is highlight some of the points that caught my ear in my interview with Joanne. Hopefully this can point you in some directions that you may want to take if you want to look into this case further. Number one, even after talking to Joanne for two and a half hours before doing the interview, and talking to Eric's friend Leah for two two and a half hours about that period between October of 2010 and March 2011, I still feel that there are many holes that need to be filled in regarding what was going on there. I still don't feel after all this time I have a complete grasp on the dynamics between Eric and Kendra and John and to a lesser extent, Emily. Maybe I have a pretty good grasp. It feels to me like Kendra was playing Eric for a fool. That's what it feels like to me. She was playing very hot and cold. She was playing uh, games with their daughter. I see that. The issue is that John was not mentioned hardly at all in those months that Eric was there. And in fact, the only reason we hear about John is later, afterwards, after the fact, when Eric's neighbor at the motel mentioned that... John had threatened Eric at one point. We got that from the neighbor, not from Eric. And it makes me wonder, what other things did Eric not pass along to his friends and family? We just don't know. Not to mention that everything we know about what went on there are either from two unreliable narrators in Kendra or John and a stranger, this neighbor, or 
a cleaning lady who frankly had the hots for Eric, so I don't know where she's coming from. I'm sure she's a perfectly fine woman. But what we really need are more stories from Eric himself. Of course, we can't get those. So we have all of this information about what went on there, a lot of which was found out after the fact, and we have very little except for that back and forth that Kendra and Eric were having. That makes trying to figure out what exactly happened from exactly March 10th to into April, it's hard to figure out. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there aren't reasons that Eric didn't talk about everything that was going on there. I'm sure he did have his reasons. Maybe he just wanted to be his own man. Maybe he didn't want to let his friends or his mother worry. We can all relate to that. But after the fact, it makes it difficult to know his side of the story in all of this. Number two, I've been very honest with my problems regarding motive. Under normal circumstances, if it was a married couple and an ex-boyfriend comes into town, you could see a situation where the husband feels threatened, threatens this ex-boyfriend, are you trying to ruin my marriage, what are you trying to do, ex-boyfriend doesn't get the message, and the husband feels like he has to do something about it that is outside the law. That's happening all the time in the United States. The problem is that John and Kendra did not have that kind of relationship. They didn't have that kind of marriage. It was an open relationship. So jealousy of other men was not in John's repertoire. Now, we do know that he threatened Eric, if we are to believe the neighbor of Eric's at that motel. The only thing that makes sense to me is that, and this would go in line with what I think I know about Kendra, is that I'm guessing that Kendra, over those months, was playing Eric off against John, was playing John off against Eric. I think she was telling both of them things that weren't true, trying to set both of them off, once again, because I think that's the type of woman uh, that she was. So when I hear about a threat that John delivered against Eric, I see a scenario where Kendra told John something about Eric that wasn't true, that Eric raped her, Eric maybe did something to Emily, uh, Kendra generating lies all over the place to get John fired up. I continue to think that over those five months that Eric was nothing but a plaything for Kendra. She was making all sorts of promises to him with no intention of following through with any of them. And it could be that she drove John to get rid of Eric for untrue reasons. Number three, Kendra's death. This has to be one of the strangest points that I've run into yet in doing Unfound. Is she dead? Is she alive? I'm inclined to think that she's dead. I'm inclined to think that she died of the cancer. But if her mother thinks that she's still alive and the rest of her family thinks that she's still alive, how can I, as a third party, really look at that and say, well, no, you're wrong? I have to admit, if I had a sibling, I have two brothers and a sister, and one of them was here one day and gone the next, and their spouse said, oh, yeah, he's dead, and we already had the burial, and 
we uh, cremated him and he's gone. I would say, what do you mean? You didn't invite me to the service. I didn't get to see him one last time. You don't have a picture. I'd feel like Kendra's family does. And given that Joanne gets along so well with Kendra's family, I'm inclined to believe Kendra's family too. If they have suspicions that something odd went down, then they should look into it. Even to the point of maybe suspecting that Kendra did fake her death for whatever reason. Kendra and John are shady. Because of that, there's no telling what those two might do to try to collect on an insurance claim, to try to get out of some lawsuit, maybe even possibly to get out of being charged with the crime in the disappearance of Eric Franks. How about that? What also should be noted is people are faking cancer all the time. In fact, I'm sure as I'm doing this show, there are hundreds of people in the United States who are faking cancer so they can collect money from some charity. I swear I read a story like that at least once every couple months. Somebody gets caught doing that, and they have to pay back all the money, and they get taken to court, and they get charged with a felony. To me, that wouldn't be outside of the realm of possibility for Kendra at all. Do I believe that Emily had cancer? Yes, I do. I'm not so sure about Kendra. It might have been all included in the master plan of her finally faking her own death to get out of whatever. So what's the key in this case? I have to believe it's Emily. She's still alive. She was old enough to understand what was going on in 2011. I'd like to see somebody talk to her. I'm not saying in necessarily an interrogation setting. I'd like to talk to her about her parents. I'd like to talk to her about John, who wasn't her biological father. I'd like to talk to her about her mother, Kendra. Does she believe that her mother died? Can she explain those last few days of her, of her mother's life? Can she explain those five months of what went on while Eric was in Michigan? She's, what, 23 now, something like that? She could be very helpful to the Franks family who are still looking for answers. She has, I'm not saying she has knowledge of the crime, she has knowledge of the disappearance, but to have a good one-on-one -on -one with her might be helpful to understand more about those five months and maybe take the investigation in some new directions. The question will be, is she willing to talk about it? And that's only something that time will be able to tell. And that brings us to the end of the program. I will leave the rest of the discussion up to you. You can join the discussion at the Unfound Podcast discussion group. Please join us there. You can find me there. You can find other listeners of the program there. Would love to have you join in the conversation. And I also ask, if you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and give Unfound a nice review. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound. Thank you.